Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 343 Podcast, your beloved American soccer game changer. I'm Gary Kleiben, and today I'm joined by longtime friend, colleague, and exceptional coach with a ton of experience, Joey Cassio. This episode is a technical one, a zooming in on one particular training exercise, namely the 4v1 rondo. So coaches, this is right up your alley. But you know what? It's not just for coaches. In this case, peering into how a practitioner of over 10 years thinks and dissects his craft affords insight, I believe, on multiple levels. Before we jump in, let me share a little background on the fascinating and many times controversial evolution of the use of rondos in the United States as a training exercise or as an integral part of a team's training methodology. In the United States, at scale, nobody knew of or had even heard of a rondo prior to, say, 15 years ago or so. Even Brian had not fully incorporated a rondo let alone an entire suite of them into his training methodology. It wasn't until his in-depth, multiple and lengthy internships at FC Barcelona, where he learned from colleagues there, how they would do it at the youth academy level and with their professionals, did Brian come back and fully incorporate these things. To kind of put a date on this, this was during the time of Pep Guardiola and Luis Enrique. So we're talking around 2009 to 2012. That remarkable Barcelona era marks the beginning of some sort of awareness about rondos here in the States. Everyone wanted to know how it was possible that Barcelona could so fully dominate every single opponent with a controlled possession that looked more like a playful work of performance art than a strenuous athletic competition. It was just poetry in motion, guys. They would basically win all the trophies, and to boot, they would do it principally with graduates from their youth academy. Not to mention, Spain subsequently won the World Cup. So yes, upon hearing Barcelona, Spain in general really, that they would train and develop their players, both youth and pro, with rondos, it wasn't until then that that word made its way into the United States. But it wasn't well received by many to say the least. Actually, it was quite striking to see the level of resistance to the use of rondos here. Sadly, one of the reasons for this seemed to be of a xenophobic kind. Rondos seem to represent a Spanish or Latino thing, and that doesn't jive with the sort of things we do around these here parts. Our run and gun, route one, pace, power, and athleticism over everything culture heavily influenced and derived from the English, mind you, which controls most of the game here, wanted little to do with accepting such an affront to their way of doing things. I won't dwell on this specific reason today, as I think it deserves a whole episode unto itself. Instead, and what you'll hear from Joey, is more from an angle of misunderstanding what a rondo is and what it does. Even people and coaches who were advocating for the use of rondos those first few years after they had heard of it were thinking of a, quote, piggy in the middle sort of thing. They would say or imply things like, oh yeah, I know what a rondo is. It's where you have a bunch of players form a circle, then put a player or two in the middle. Then the ball gets passed around the perimeter while the piggy in the middle tries to intercept the ball. Guys. That is literally what people who claim to know about and use rondos in their training sessions thought a rondo was. For years. Well, fast forward to today. And while I think motivated and well-intentioned coaches have totally evolved from that original misunderstanding, it seems many stopped their learning curve on rondos prematurely. So much so, they've missed the ultimate magic and the culmination of the methodology. I've seen it time and time again in person, in discussions, and via online commentary from coaches. I've seen the mistake, which we're all susceptible to, of thinking, yeah, yeah, I know this stuff, and then proceeding to start modifying it, thinking we're making it better, or not using it at all anymore. It's a common pitfall across so many domains, the whole shiny object syndrome. It stems from getting bored of having done the same thing for maybe six months, for four years, and itching to do something else rather than going even deeper towards mastery in the same thing. I get it. 
I'm not immune to this. But today's episode is intended to zoom in on just one such rondo and helping to illustrate the continued misunderstanding and mistake of where the magic ultimately lies and address some of the misguided objections that lead coaches astray. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to rondos being correctly implemented in all their detail with players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly-on-the-wall and steady Brian, who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. Yeah, so tell me, dude, um, again, I don't remember what it is that you had proposed <laughs> last time. I think you had proposed talking maybe a little bit about uh, Rondo's uh, maybe even specifically the 4v1 or the 4v0 or something, and maybe not only its importance, but also the criticism that has been levied towards it. And while criticism is always welcome in all walks of life, how that criticism is unwarranted with respect to whoever's levying criticism doesn't have the full context of the matter. Yeah, they're just seeing something that's very superficial and don't necessarily appreciate or understand what is being accomplished with this exercise in the bigger picture. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I brought up when we met, uh, the 4v1 specifically. And yeah, what it means to sort of the overall big picture vision for the team and how it's applied in training. And then, yeah, you know, I've, I've been, I don't put a lot out there in the public, but that is something that I have put out there is videos of my teams doing the 4v1 and, you know, people comment and whatnot. And, uh, so I think this is a good opportunity to maybe dive deeper and explain exactly how the 4v1 is used and what the purpose of it is within the, the training environment. No, perfect. So do you just want to take it from there? Just go, just have at it. Go off on a ramp, man. And if I interrupt <laughs> yeah. you to get. Yeah. And if I interrupt you to try to get more detailed or more granular, then I'll do that. Okay. Uh, the 4v1 in, so the identity, the identity similar to what, you know, Brian has done with his teams. I learned from, from you guys, possession pressure are the two main components of the identity, right? The 4v1 Rondo allows you to instill the necessary fundamentals to be able to have your team play with that sort of identity. You can, you can work on both within that exercise. And, you know, people talk about, oh, there's no positions in the 4v1. There's no direction in the 4v1. I don't completely agree with that, but the, the purpose of the 4v1 is to, I would say, first and foremost, instill the necessary technical capacity in the players 
to be able to play possession-based soccer at, at a good level. At least, the, you know, the, I would say the objective is to play possession-based soccer at a level that allows you to be superior to, to your opponent. So in the 4v1 rondo, these guys are getting tons and tons of reps. Let's say you do it 15 minutes at the beginning of practice, 15, 20 minutes, tons of reps. Players are getting tons of touches and you're working on little details like receiving across the body. You know, so they're, they're receiving the ball tons of times across their body. Another little detail is the weight of the pass. So these guys are firing the ball at each other, having to receive across the body, their, their foot quality is getting better. Over time, the foot quality gets better. Their ability to receive the pass when it's coming fast and hard gets better. Uh, they also get better at where to play the pass. If you know that your, your teammate has to receive with his back foot over time, when you're doing this every practice, that they're getting better at exactly where to place the pass for their teammate to be able to receive with his back foot. Um, their passing technique gets better. The, the speed of play gets better because when you're in a small little rondo and for example, I use, I do a lot of mandatory two touches. So every player has to take two touch. And when you do that. If the, if the pass is played too slow, then the player receiving the ball is going to get killed. He's going to get smashed by the defender. So the players, again, over time, they, they get better and better at how to properly weight the pass, how to hit a good hard pass. Not too hard, but hard enough to where the player receiving has just the right amount of time to be able to receive and then play a pass themselves. They get better at where to position themselves. These little details matter when you're doing these little 4v1 rondos how to position themselves off the ball, provide a good supporting angle to their teammate with the ball, um, how to get better receiving under pressure. So a lot of times when players first come into the environment, they're in the 4v1 rondo, they receive the ball and they just like receive it and it's right there for the defender to be able to, to poke it away or come in and challenge for the ball. Over time, they understand, okay, this guy's, the defender's coming at me this way. I'm just going to, take my first touch to this side of them so that I can get away and play a pass. These things start to get established into the players. The more and more that this exercise is done. And of course the coaching points are brought up and then on the field in games, it just raises the level of what you're trying to do. When you're trying to play possession-based soccer, you find that it, it gives the team a, a higher level of success all, all around. You know, every player individually might be a little different, higher level of technical ability than others. But if everybody's, you know, at a, at a certain level of being able to execute these actions, then as a group, you're going to have success. And so, and it, it's just 15, 20 minutes. And this is the part that people don't necessarily see online, but a lot of the exercises after the 4v1 incorporate positioning, direction, and that sort of thing. It's just the first part of practice is just to instill these qualities in the players. And once they get to a certain level, maintain that level, you know, in these actions in the players so that the level remains where it is. And maybe little, we increase the level bit by bit, even after that. Got it. Um, give me a second here. Cause I have a, a few notes. Let me see. Okay. For many of the audience who have been in our sphere for any length of time, Joey, they're probably aware of the 4v1 to a certain extent and a lot of the positives that come from that, which you very well put. So I'm going to kind of go off the rails here and try to have us attempt to answer things that we may have not offered the audience previously. Okay. Uh, myself included. I haven't written about these things or talked about these things. So let's give it a go. First, the positive thing, you've listed it all out and you said roughly maybe 20 minutes at the beginning of almost every session. I think it's yeah. a great investment in time because you mentioned improving the player's foot quality, improving the player, being able to receive across the body, which is a fundamental principle in football. Uh, for the most part, if people look at professional soccer games and actually pay attention when a player receives a pass, the preponderance of the time, they will allow the ball to cross from one side of their body to the other side and receive with that opposite foot. 
Yeah. So if the ball is coming from the left, they'll stop it with the right. If the ball is coming from the right, they'll stop it with the left. So if people actually sat and paid attention to only that in a professional soccer game, they would see, holy shit. Yeah. That's how almost every player receives the ball almost every single time. So it's like a fundamental principle to do that for a variety of reasons that we can go into as well. You mentioned speed of play because when you're playing in the little 4v1 rondo, it's like a 7v7 or, or 7 meter by 7 meter grid. Uh, it's a small reduced space and you have five players in that small reduced space. So the number of actions per second is very high, which means high speed of play and players get used to that. So then when you expand it to the larger field, actions are slower in a larger field. They're able to handle the larger field. And you mentioned positioning as well. So all these positives, it's a good investment. 15, 20 minutes at the, at the beginning of every session. And you mentioned all of that. Awesome. Now let's get into some of the objections. Um, yeah. I'll start off with rattling off a few. One of the big things that they say and you touched on was, guys, this isn't game realistic. When do you have these little squares on the field, you know, with, with one defender in the middle of a square? And so with that said, they try to adjust the drill to incorporate other things. For instance, they might criticize the video you uploaded, Joey, by saying, why are they taking two touches? They can just take one touch. One touch speeds up the play even more. Yeah. Another yeah. criticism is, hey, why always play to the left or to the right of you? Um, play to your teammate on the opposite side of the square. And that simulates breaking lines in the real world, you see? So they try to have, they have all these criticisms and they try to improve the drill or say, oh, you got, you're not teaching the players properly. There's all these other things to the game. And I think it's important for us to address those. So I'll let you take a crack at that. Maybe the first one is like, hey, why not let them do one touch? Cause you mentioned you try to incorporate two touch most of the time. Right. Well. When I do two touch, I mean, it's, it's really focusing in on their ability to receive under pressure because there's going to be moments in the game where they don't have those options to play one touch and they have to have the ability to get out of situations where they don't have that option and making it mandatory two touch, they're dealing with that over and over and over and over again within that, that one exercise. So it, it sort of, it. It gives them the opportunity to acquire the technical capacity to when you're under pressure, you have no option to play one touch. You can get out of that situation by simply just maybe being calm, slowing down, slowing down the mind to know what's going on around you. And then just say, oh, okay, I can take it across my body. Maybe, maybe touch the ball to the left side of the defender. And then I'm out of that situation. And then I can look for a pass. Or go the opposite way. Oh, this, the defender's coming at me this way. I'm going to let it come across my body to look like I'm going to go to my left side, but then I'm going to touch it back to the right side of my body to be able to go that way. So that's like a body I, fake. Yeah. So when I'm sort of structuring the rondo two touch, that's how I'm seeing the benefit of it by making them take two touches. I'm, I'm really focusing in on that one little, that skill that they're going to be able to acquire that will then bigger picture allow us to have more success on the field because that situation is going to come up in a game. Yeah. And many times it's much more difficult or, or let me start over by, by making it mandatory to have two touches. You're also working on the player's first touch to set themselves up for that second touch. And if you allow them the freedom in this particular drill to just one touch out of pressure. Yeah. And like you said, maybe you don't have that opportunity in the real game because you don't have an open teammate or whatever. You're not working on that first touch. Yeah. It's all about that first touch. Can you control the first touch and set yourself up properly for the next action? Right. And yeah. if you're allowed to just receive a ball and in one touch, move it on. You're not practicing that. It's a missed opportunity. Um, no, if I can, play? I can add, if I can add yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think, and I'll, I'll say this to the players because, you know, it, when a player takes a first touch and you can see when they don't properly set themselves up, there's that little bit of extra work that they have to do to get the pass off. You know what I mean? Whereas if a player who just receives the ball and literally takes no extra steps, just smoothly with their, op their other foot, they receive across the body and then smoothly with the other foot, they just come and pass the ball away from underneath their feet and it's gone. That technique is so important. And I think I've heard uh, Brian refer to it as catch pass, catch pass fast. Yeah. I think this is also a reason why this activity can be done for years and years and years by the same group, by the same player, and you never get quote unquote bored of it. And you are never wasting time by doing it because whether you're starting it at nine years old and maybe, maybe then you're looking at 13 year olds and then maybe 17 year olds and then maybe professionals, there is always room for improvement in that first touch always. Um, and the speed of play as you increase in age and level of play increases. So you, you, you have to be able to manage an ever increasing speed of the ball. So at nine, 10, 13, 15, there's a certain speed that the ball is rolling at that you have to be able to control. And then if you go all the way to Champions League teams, it doesn't look like 17-year-olds in a rondo anymore. The ball is going at light speed. So you have to be able to control a ball that's fired into you at 30 miles an hour or 40 miles, whatever the heck the velocity is, and continue to do this. So it's never ending, Joey, uh, yeah. because that's also another critique that gets levied. Oh, I've been doing the 4v1 for, you know, a year and a half now. To, I think it's time to move on from this. Big mistake, in my opinion. Listen, there's many training methodologies. There's many ways to train players uh, with the same end goal. But the fundamentals never change. You still have to train and have that first touch become exquisite. That's the goal. And this activity accomplishes that goal. Maybe there's another activity that also accomplishes that goal, but this one does for sure. And it's been proven time and time again. So if you want to explore other activities that specifically target that, fine, be my guest. But don't say, I've been doing this activity for a year and a half or two or three. It's time to move on. There is no moving on. You're, yeah. You still have to refine these things. Right. And if the team, you have success, you move up in level, well, now you're taking a step up in level, it's got to be that much better now. So you continue to work on it to increase the level so that you can compete at the next level of competition. And it just, like you said, it keeps going. It, it never ends. Yeah. So the next criticism, Joe, is why not allow the player to, the, the third option, instead of just passing it to the left or to the right, why not be able to go directly across the grid, across the square that is the rondo to that other teammate that they have. I don't necessarily prevent the players from doing that okay. when I'm, when I'm doing the 4v1. So I'll let, I'll let you maybe dive into this part of it and mm -hmm. then maybe I can, I can add on as we go. Yeah. Um, for me, things like allowing a player to have, to execute an action in one touch instead of two touch or for giving them also the added option to go to that third teammate directly across from you instead of to the left or the right of you. Those are added layers. Yeah. So once you kind of get the hang of the standard uh, 4v1 rondo, then, and this is a judgment call, right? Then you can maybe loosen the leash a little bit, so to speak, mm -hmm. and say, okay, you have these other things at your disposal also. Um, one of the reasons that maybe you don't want to have all that optionality is that the more optionality you give the player in a training exercise, the less reps you're getting in a very specific area, you see? So for instance, if you don't allow the player to go across the grid and they have to go left or right, then you're constantly training that player to 
Receive across the body and go left to right. Receive across the body, go left to right. Receive across the body, go left to right. And those reps, 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 reps train you, right, to with that, those biomechanics and to be able to execute that. If you allow a, yet a third option, then you are losing out on those reps. You see to go left or right. That's my philosophy anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you do all three, you degrade the repetition cycle. That's all I'm saying, Joe. Right. Yeah, and, no, I, and, and, and furthermore, I'll say another point to enabling the third option. You're also giving the player another escape hatch, you know, like if they have a bad touch or something of that nature. So you're allowing them to have a worse first touch, if that makes sense, because they have another option that they can get away with. Yeah, no, I understand. You, I understand that. And I take it back when I coached U7, I started with 4v0 and they, I didn't let him pass across the, the box. Mm -hmm. It was all receive across the body, play the player to the left. And we would actually go one direction first, then I'd stop it. Then we'd go the other direction. And then the third round, I would let them decide. Mm. So then they would have to be alert, reading the body to be prepared for if a pass was coming to them. But it was always side to side. And I would agree, especially at the younger ages, focusing in on a certain couple of items that you want to work into the players at a time is important. And I, I with the 4v1 Rondo, that's how I see it. You're, you're instilling these fundamental these fundamental items that the players have to have. And it's not a lot. You're, you're focusing in on just a few different things and you're trying to perfect those things or master those things so that they are comfortable in the games and can have success. So I agree with, with the philosophy hundred percent. It's interesting. It could, sometimes it reminds me of that famous Bruce Lee quote. If Bruce Lee came up with it, I fear not the man. Uh, who has a thousand kicks. I fear the man who has one kicks er, and has done it a thousand times or something. What the fuck? I, I need to look it up. I can't botch this. Hold on. Yeah, Bruce, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee. I know, I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. But 1,000 kicks. I, I, I have to. I can't let this get away. Let me see. I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. You see, and, and that's kind of what I'm getting at with restricting the players in a particular activity to be able to kind of gain a level, some sort of level of expertise and mastery in a particular skill. Yeah. If you, if you leave it wide open for them to do whatever the fuck they want at any point in time, then you're not getting better at any one particular thing. You see, that's, that's just a general comment I'm making and this will be a separate discussion, Joey, but there is this idea out there among some, among many, maybe here in the States, not overseas, no matter what you read that, oh, just let the players play. The game is the best teacher, which means basically a free for all, let them do whatever the fuck they want. Well, then you're not training them in anything. You see, it is important yeah. to play pickup soccer. It is important but you're not, you're not developing anything in, in particular. Yeah. I with the team training environment, you're creating a collective structure for the team. Right. And I've always seen the 4v1 as, as the exercise that establishes the foundation to then be able to build out of the back, to then be able to work the ball into the opponent's half and attack without that foundation in place. Those other structures within the game, while the players might be able to do it, it's not smooth, it's not swift, it's not necessarily flowing in a way that does damage to the opponent all the time. Whereas if yeah. those, those, that foundation piece is in place, that those little things that we talked about within the 4v1, if those are in place, and let's say the players are excelling at the level that they're currently at, whatever that may be. And then they take that into the structures, the other structures that are being built into the team, building out of the back, attacking patterns. Those other structures are done so much better. And you're, yeah. you're really seeing the impact when you're executing those other structures with that foundation now in place from the 4v1 Rondo. 
Yeah, and it shows, in my opinion, that's the difference. When you watch the U.S. men's national team try to build out of the back or they're in pressure situations, what that looks like uh, with the reception of the ball and the moving on, on of the ball. And then you look at France, Brazil, Argentina, Italy, Portugal. I mean, you name the powers, right? There is a difference there. And the difference comes down to the fundamentals. It's how good is that first touch to set yourself up for a second touch? Yeah. And how fast is the speed of play as a consequence of that? And our U.S. players, the ones who were bred here in the States, generally speaking, exceptions aside, have not been trained that way. And others overseas have been trained that way. And they have that little edge, which at that level makes a huge difference. Joey, let me ask you about this. Let's try to address the little... I, I just invented this question, Joey. Um, I think it touches on there's no Bible, so to speak, to develop top-level players. There's many paths to becoming a top-level player. It's hard to really pinpoint down exactly what happened. Um, but not every top-level player has had this training. You see what I'm saying? A lot of top-level players might not have ever had a 4v1 rondo or a rondo period, you know, in their early years or even in their teen years. So I think of like historical type players before maybe Johan Cruyff started really advocating and developing the rondo himself. You think about the Brazilians who are very free flowing, carefree, pick up game sort of actors, right? And I wasn't there to see Ronaldinho or Neymar or Ronaldo when they were 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 years old in Brazil, in their team environment, what was being done there? I wasn't there, but I suspect that it wasn't FC Barcelona where this was kind of religion, what we're talking about, the Rondos. All this to say that, yes, there are other paths, there are other ways. So I'm trying to reconcile that with the criticism and the critiques, right? Because other people here in the States are kind of aware or, or speculate anyways, that what I just said is true about the Brazilians or the Argentines or whatever, right? And they cling to that in order for them not to do rondos or in order for them to criticize this methodology. Yeah, the methodology of, I mean, I think Spain is kind of like the, the biggest country that adheres to this, okay? Although it has spilled over across the world and I have players spread across Europe on professional teams and they all tell me that rondos are happening in every training session. Okay, so it has absolutely been disseminated uh, throughout the world. Even the U.S. men's national team <laughs> sometimes publishes, oh, look at our little rondo, and it looks fucking horrific, but that's a topic for another day, okay? Um, but you see what I'm saying, right? It's the people cling on to that potential fact that this isn't done everywhere and it's not a requirement per se. How do you respond to that, Joey? It it's interesting. I, I don't know what goes on in other cultures. I can only assume, but I assume in these other big footballing countries that kids are more immersed in the game. They grow up playing, they play on the streets, they're watching games. Maybe they're going to, to the field when they're a little kid, they're watching their dad or their uncles or their older brothers. Here, there's a lot of players and it's not every player, but there's a lot of players who don't grow up like that. And you can see it, the, the technical level in general across the landscape is, is lower than these other footballing nations. And I think that's why it's even more important here in the, in the States, maybe at, at the age of 12, the difference between a player here and, the, and a player in France, they're technically much further along already. They don't need to do 4v1s. They can do bigger rondos where there's maybe 6v2 or there's more defenders or different exercises, but here with in general the players that we have the starting point and this is what i've seen with my teams when a player comes into the environment it's clear they're not where they need to be when it comes to those little the fundamentals that are worked on in this 4v1 exercise it's not where it needs to be 
And this needs to be worked on consistently to increase the level in all these things so that the team can play, can play good football on the weekends. So I, that's sort of how I see it. Um, I'm focusing in on these fundamentals in a smaller exercise because the starting point of the players isn't yet where it needs to be for their age. No, that's absolutely brilliant answer. I couldn't have said it better myself. The culture sometimes makes up for deficiencies in training. If you have that soccer culture and you've been living and breathing this stuff on the streets in the favelas of Brazil, then my God, what better, what better way to get all those reps in if you're out on the streets for four or five hours every single day since you were a little kid, doesn't matter you didn't do these rondos, you're getting all kinds of experience. You're getting all kinds of touches. You're getting all kinds of everything involved. And so they don't necessarily need this structured environment to get their repetitions in. And here in the States, you nailed it, Joey, here in the States, we don't necessarily have that. So you get certain type of player here in the States and how do we get them? How do we accelerate them, their technique? How, how can we best accelerate their technique to catch up somehow, some way to their counterparts internationally. And I think this sort of methodology, this activity is one such accelerant. Yeah. You nailed it, man. I couldn't, I don't know what else to say. Uh, how about, how about maybe, I think you touched on it. I'm not sure. Little personal story for you. Um, like how long have you been implementing the 4v1 in terms of years, for instance, and then. Uh, I don't know if you have a particular story that might cross your mind with respect to seeing results with a particular team or a particular player as a consequence of maybe implementing this thing. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing it. Oh man, I've been using it since probably 2013 and it's very rare where I don't start a training session with the 4v1 Rondo or Sometimes I do like a 3v1. It's either 3v1 or 4v1 to start every, every training session for the most part. In general, across all the years that I've done it, it's rare that a player doesn't get better at the fundamentals. I would say it's maybe two or three guys that continue to really struggle with those fundamental actions, even being in them, you know, day after day. In terms of a success story, I'll say, I'll bring up Eric Duenas, who's, who signed a, a homegrown contract at LAFC. When I first had him at FC Man United, in the 4v1s, he struggled. His, his first touch wasn't good. Um, but, and he, he didn't start games. He, he would come off the bench. He wouldn't start. But he, you know, he had, a, he had the right mentality towards it all. And he would just come and he would work. And, you know, he'd ask questions here and there. What can I do better? And I'd give him some things to, to take home. And over time, his persistence, it clearly made him much better to where, to where when, when we moved to LAFC, you know, he became the captain. He was playing center back on the U12 team. He was clearly a, a key piece. First team on the team sheet, when I would give the lineup in to the referee or to the, to the coaching staff, he was the first guy on the team. So within... It took him a year, a year and a half to where he significantly made progress to where he became a key player. And then and now he's signed a homegrown contract at LAFC and he's yeah. been in the Mexican youth national team pool. So he's come a long way. So that's definitely a good success story for the 4v1. Yeah. Let's kill the criticism right away. They might, ah, Joey, but that doesn't mean it's the 4v1 run though that did any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. It could be a whole yeah. bunch of things like playing on his own, all the stuff, but Listen, guys, like we said earlier, the 4v1 targets a set of very specific fundamentals and you're getting so many repetitions in training multiple times per week on those very targeted fundamentals that you can at least see the progression on those very specific targeted fundamentals that make the player better overall. So sure. Maybe his athleticism got better. Maybe he trained on his own had a whole bunch of pickup games outside of the training environment. All those things help. No question about it, but targeting receiving across the body, targeting that first touch to set yourself up for the second touch, 
targeting being able to move two or three yards to the left, two or three yards to the right to produce an angle for your teammates. All those very specific targeted things you can, as a coach, in my opinion, see the progress of a player and attribute those things in matches to that exercise. 100%. And there's been other stories too, and not, not to that level with Eric. There was a kid at Fram, you know, and the, the team at Fram, when I got it, it was an 04 team, very average. The level is very average. He went on, he had a good mindset to him. He would work hard. He would do ball on a wall on his own. I would give him that homework. He was that type of kid where he was very driven. But again, those fundamentals improved and it, it just sort of allowed him to gain confidence. And then his game from there, you know, the other things in his game, the positional qualities that he needed, it started to grow. But it, like you said, it all started from those basic fundamental skills that were acquired in the 4v1. And now he's committed to Azusa Pacific University. For, for him, that's a, that's a great achievement for him. That's awesome, man. Um, I did actually write a, down another question as you were speaking. How about from a coach's perspective? You said you, that you had been doing this since 2013, so close to a decade at this point with this particular exercise. Would you say that there is a learning curve for the coach themselves in being able to run the activity to a certain, I don't know, to run it well, Joey, right? And then yeah. to graduate from running it well to even a higher level than running it well, running it good, and then running it at to the point where you are met, you are squeezing the orange out of every single player in the activity. Because I, my opinion is when you first try a new activity at any activity, you as a coach suck at it. You don't know what the fuck, you don't have no idea how to run the activity. You might've read the coaching points. You might've prepared, but once the activity gets going, it's kind of chaos out there. Yeah, hundred percent my ability to run the exercise over time is, has gotten better. You start to gain a better understanding of your timing, when to jump in, when to point things out. Uh, you start to see more within the exercise. So the point that I shared earlier about the player being able to take a first touch away from the defender, instead of just presenting the ball to the defender, I didn't pick that up until you know, years later when, from when I started doing the exercise. Another aspect that I started to see later on was specifically where the players off the ball need to position themselves. I would just kind of let them, you know, as long as they were open, it was okay. But they started to receive the ball in front of the defender. And I started to realize, well, related to the game, if we pass the ball like that, always in front of the defender, we're, we're not going to be able to progress. So I started to add in the players off the ball. You need to try to position yourself on the defender's shoulder. Always make sure that there's an angle, but try to receive the ball to where once you receive it, if we're in a game, you can then progress us forward. That was another thing that I didn't see till probably six, seven years yeah, wow. later from when I started yeah. running the exercise. But yeah, you're the ability to see what's going on, you know, cause it's moving fast. Your ability to see what's happening in the exercise to get on the players. When, the, when you first start doing it, it's terrible. You know, the, the whole thing's terrible. Mm. And as you go, you, you start to understand how to sort of build this culture with the exercise where the intensity's high, the quality gets better. The speed of it is moving that much faster. And it just takes time to learn how to, how to make that happen. No, and obviously to make it competitive for the players too, so that their competitive juices are flowing and they're into it and they want to execute at, at their maximum capacity. That takes some skill too from the coach or something. Yeah. One, one of the hardest things is to get the defenders to go and run mm. and press mm. the players. But once yeah. you, once that happens, I think that sort of sets the rest of it off because the players now on the outside have to think and execute that much faster. Once that defender is going and pressing. Now everything's going to have to get faster. No, that it's, it's fucking, it's amazing, man. Fucking coaching's amazing. I mean, there, there's just so many things going on. Um, I don't know what else to say, Joe. I don't know if you had something else with the 4v1. No, man. I, I think we, uh, we touched on a lot. I don't really have anything else. What do other people do, Joey? Uh, 
Well, I, we've talked about this, Gary. So like, at, like, you know, started with the three, four, three methodology and he won national championships. And at the time he was doing this, he was right. having his teams do 4v1 rondos. And now I, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, spurred the change in him, you know, reading different stuff, consuming, you know, more content or whatever. And I think this is the problem with sort of bringing, bringing in methodologies from different countries, because like we talked about, the American player is, is different. What we're working with is, is different than what they're working with in Spain. And we have to be considerate of that. And we have to understand, you know, in general, the type of player that we're working with and how we need to teach that player to be able to maximize what they can do. And I think it takes that focusing in on those fundamentals to get it out of them. So yeah, over the years, you know, it's um, gone on to different things. And what I see over there is they don't focus in on the fundamentals. It's bigger exercises. There's more going on and the coaches don't have the capability within those bigger exercises to focus in on those fundamentals. Yeah. They might yeah. say it, you know, cause like they'll say receive back foot, mm -hmm. but it's not, it, it, they're not in a situation where it's like, if you don't do it, you're going to lose the ball. And now you have to go in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's not like that, you know, like the, the squares are bigger. There's more players. So they get away with making mistakes more. Yeah. And so they're not learning the necessary quality within that, within that, or what's needed quality wise with that fundamental to then translate to a competitive game. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, man. But I think a lot of people get hung up on bringing in what other people do in other countries. And it's not that it's wrong. It could be good where they're at. It works. It's, it's, a I think it's a lack and forgive me. It's a lack of understanding of context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, all these more quote unquote sophisticated methodologies that seem game realistic, that involve more players that incorporate all this tactical stuff. It's good stuff. It just seems glamorous, but it's not appropriate to the environment that so many of these youth clubs here, I'd say all of them, frankly, but certainly almost all of them, you're operating in a different environment, guys, not only with the type of player you have, but the capabilities of the coach as well. Like you are not Pep Guardiola. You're not going to arrange your 11 players in a training session and have mannequins all across, you know, the area and then do sophisticated tactical work or a sophisticated rondo with all these moving pieces, with all this optionality for every single player. And you're doing it for you 13s or you 15. Well, like, like, what are you doing? Okay. Yeah. That is not fundamental training. You're, I don't even know what to do with that, Joey. Um, but it looks cool. It sounds cool. It maybe it impresses people from the outside, but in my opinion, you're doing a huge disservice to your players and to you as a coach, frankly, because you are the most important thing is the foundational stuff. Um, right. And you're completely missing, missing it. Is, is that part of it? Joe, is part, is it part of the, the whole glamor of it all? Oh, I'm going to do this sophisticated sort of drill. And that other stuff is too simple. Yeah. I think that that, that could have something to do with it. I just think Being of, to, I just think of other like that. Yeah. I just think of other disciplines, stupid shit, like writing. I'm not a professional writer. So what I'm going to say right now for all you professional writers out there, Please forgive me. Okay. But uh, if you want to be a good writer and you're starting out, don't go and start studying Hemingway and all kinds of crazy fucking writing shit. How about you just start writing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The, 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 the most basic of things, or if you want to be a mathematician or something more along my lines, right? Mathematician, a physicist, you don't go straight to, oh, let's talk about black holes and quantum mechanics or whatever, do some crazy calculus stuff. How about we start with addition and subtraction, multiplication, division, and then graduate to algebra, to geometry, to more complicated algebra, to trig, to count. You know what I mean? Like there's kind of like a structure to build up your, your base of your pyramid. 
And then you build up to the elite level, if you will. And it seems like a lot of coaches and clubs fall into this trap of, ooh, look at this shiny thing. And they're seeing the tip of the pyramid and they're trying to go directly to that. And you've got U13 American soccer players who are watching the NFL on the weekends instead of being game obsessed. It seems to me, Gary, and I might be wrong, but that's how humans learn best is with the basic fundamentals, mastering that and then layering more on top as you go. And that's how you build up to a level yeah. of mastery. And at least in my experience with the players that I've worked with, it just seems that's how they learn best. For me as a coach, I focused in on just fundamental things as a coach. And then as I went, I layered things on. And now I feel like when I watch a game, I see so much more. I still have a lot to learn and, and acquire, but I can't imagine learning another way. I feel like I would have missed so much and skipping the fundamentals. There's no way I would be where I'm at now if I would have done that. And I would have focused in on different formations and stuff like that. Just fundamental structures within the team. Yeah. I, it, it seems that way to me, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. All right, dude. I think we're good. Yeah, no, it was good, man. Very good, man. Hey, hit me up tomorrow when you're driving back to see if, I don't know, I might be dead too. But if you're not dead and you feel like, oh man, I don't want to be home alone or whatever, maybe we can link up. Yeah, I'll plan on it. I'll hit you up on my way back. And if all is good, we'll do it, man. All right, my boy. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.